We are continuing our sermon series called Retold. Retold is Sunday school stories that you heard as a kid, but you heard the kid's version. And what I find is always fascinating is that we, we get so familiar with these stories that we go, yeah, I know that one, and we just move on. And we miss some very interesting lessons and applications to life. So where we've been, where are we going? We've already talked about Noah and Moses. Today we're talking about David and Goliath. I bet you've heard of them. If not, you're in the right place. And then next week we're going to talk about Daniel and the lion's den. David and Goliath. Now, now the reason that this is always interesting to me is when we hear these stories as kids, it's the kid's version, and rightfully so. Kids don't need to know everything that went on in these stories. But what I find is most interesting to me is as I talk to adults about these stories, they still kind of have the kid's version playing in their head, and they miss some valuable lessons and some valuable application points. So my charter with you throughout this entire series is, I know you've heard the story before, but please don't check out on me so we can pull the lessons that we need to pull. Because this is one of the, the most famous, yet maybe most missed opportunity stories that I can think of in the Old Testament. And, and here's why. We love a good underdog story, do we not? I mean, think about everything that really draws you in, whether that's a, a movie or a, a sporting event or, or whatever. Uh, you know, we, we love to celebrate the underdog winning. Uh, how many people saw the movie The 300? 300 Spartans that held off that entire Persian army. Now, they were not successful. Well, were they successful? Hmm, it depends. If living was your primary goal, they were not successful. But if stopping the Persian army was your goal, they were very successful. Or think about the movies that resonate with you. You know, think about uh, stories like Rocky. You know, those kind of things. That, that really resonates with us, doesn't it? <laughs> because we like to see that underdog win. All the, and I'm not going to do any other impersonations, don't worry, you're good. I'm just going to try to be Bill for the rest of the day. I appreciate the applause. <laughs> but we love a good underdog story, and here's one that is fascinating to me. Uh, who knows who this is? If you know, just raise your hand. Okay, a few people. You may know more as we get into this, but this is a guy who went to Northern Iowa State, played football there as a quarterback, tried to get his way into the NFL and was not drafted by anybody. Nobody picked him up. He was undrafted. He got invited as a walk-on to one of the teams, I think it was the Green Bay Packers, if I remember right. I don't know if any of you sports fans know. Anyway, uh, he made it through summer camp and then got cut before the season started. And so we thought, well, I'll give, my, uh, give a try at arena football. How many people remember arena football? Yeah, not many, me either. Right? So uh, he was trying arena football now. He's a college graduate. He tried to get in the NFL, didn't. Tried this arena football thing, was living in his mother-in-law's basement with his wife, sacking groceries for $5.50 an hour at Ivy. Does this sound like a person who is successful? Probably not, but yet you see him in an NFL uniform, so this must be a great underdog story. Well, here's what happens to this guy. What happens? He eventually gets into a team as a backup quarterback. The starter gets hurt. He comes in, he does marvelously. But he's considered the greatest undrafted player in NFL history for these reasons. At some point, he was good enough that they decided, we're going to start this guy. This is our starting quarterback. And the first season that he started as a quarterback, he took the Rams to the Super Bowl. He was the Super Bowl MVP, most valuable player. He was the league most valuable player. 
from sacking groceries to Super Bowl MVP. Is that not an underdog success story? It doesn't get any better than that. Oh, but wait, it does. Because in 2017, this individual was elected to the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And it wasn't for sacking groceries. Who is he? Kurt Warner. Kurt Warner. The other thing that excites me about Kurt Warner is he's a, a very vocal Christian. And he will tell you that. And he has told several people that. So this platform is amazing. And, and the thing that always fascinates me about this kind of underdog story that we love so much is that, man, there's a guy with a story to tell or a gal with a story to tell about Christ. And, and it's almost like God lifted him up and put him on this very public stage so that he could share his faith. And so my thought is, well, I love God. I have a faith story to tell. And so if I go into a public arena, then won't I be Super Bowl MVP? <laughs> Maybe not in football, but somewhere else in life. Because here's the harsh reality. We love an underdog story, but how many underdog stories are actually successful? How many underdogs just get squashed? And we don't ever hear about their stories. If you play the law of averages, that's what happens to underdogs. They tend to get squashed. So why am I raining on our parade? <laughs> because here's an underdog story for you. You may have heard of this guy named David and Goliath. And the, the kid's version, it's this little boy who defeats this giant because he went out there and, and he claimed God's favor. Kind of true, but there's more to the story, and that's what I want to talk about today. Because as David faces Goliath, he, we have to peel back the layers and see exactly what he did. My worry for us is that if we understand the kid's version of this, then here's how it goes. Okay, uh, I want to do something great for God. So I'm just going to walk into the arena, whatever the arena is. I'm going to declare my faith in God, and God is going to do a miracle on my behalf. How many people have experienced that personally? Yeah, that's what I thought. So does that mean that this model is broken, or did I miss something? And my challenge to us is, is we missed something. This God is still God. God can do amazing things, but... We just have to figure out how to weave our way through the story a little bit. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to start in 1 Samuel 17. If you want to play the home game, if you want to pull it up on your apps or your Bible, for those of you who prefer the print version, or if you have it memorized. So here we start with uh, 1 Samuel 17, 32 through 37. Uh, at this point, David has visited his brothers. He has brought them some lunch from dad, and his dad is asking to check up on his brothers who are in the Israeli military. The Israeli military and the Philistines are camped on opposite hills. They're about to face off in a battle. Now, the way this used to work in the old times was occasionally they would have a champion step out and challenge on behalf of their army. And the logic was this. Why should we all die? Why don't we just pick one person to fight, and you pick one person to fight, and whoever wins that one-on-one -on -one fight the losers serve the winners, and that way we all get to live. Sounds like a wonderful way to live, doesn't it? I mean, it takes a whole, you know, homeowners association, neighborhood association thing to a whole different level, right? It's like, you pick your champion, we'll pick ours. And I get to have two trees in my yard if I win. All right. I'm not bitter about this. All right. So this is where uh, David has seen the, the, the champion of the Philistines called Goliath. He's a huge 
huge man. You can't miss him. He's a loud man. And he has stepped out and defiled the name of God and challenged the Israelis to a fight. And no one's taken him up on that. Now, before you go, wow, what a bunch of sissies. Understand this. Goliath was a no-getting giant. They estimate him to be nine feet, nine inches tall. That's no joke. He was wearing armor that weighed 125 pounds. Just his armor. That's not his weaponry. That's not anything else. That's just the armor on this dude. They think that he had a condition, and I can't pronounce it. It's a Latin word. But it's basically a, a growth, a tumor, not a benign tumor on the pituitary gland that causes abnormal growth. Right? So nine feet, nine inches tall. This dude is huge. And if, it, if that's not good enough, he has trained for war since his youth. This guy knows nothing but fighting. So ask yourself, if you saw a guy who was nine feet, nine inches tall, and had trained for nothing but war all his life, and he said, hey, you want to fight? I'd be going, no, you know, I'm good. But he's interested. And that's what I would be doing, I'm just saying. Right? So this is where David comes out, he sees this, and he goes, this is not right. So I intend to do something about it. And so David gets taken to King Saul of the uh, Israelites. And this is the conversation that ensues. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And Saul replied, You're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're little more than a boy. And he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. Boy, David's got some stones, does he not? telling you. So the, the rest of it is a little bit of the equipping, but I want to skip, uh, fast forward real quickly to what David then says to Goliath. And I want you to listen to what David says will happen and why David is doing what he's doing. We skip to uh, verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down. I will cut your head off. This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. And the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. These are the words of God, and they are for the people. These words, I'm grateful. Listen to what David is saying, because there are some very valuable lessons that we can learn and apply here. And I want to just walk through kind of chronologically here to pick out these lessons. The first lesson that I learned is experience counts. Experience counts. As David sees this nine foot nine monster, he's thinking, hey, no thing, I faced lions and bears. Did you hear what he said? When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep, I went after it. How many of us would go, oh, one down, oh, too bad for that one. I still got 99, right? Oh, but David would go after it. 
And, and get this, it's even better. When it turned on me, that would be a lion or a bear. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Now, how many of you have taken out a lion or a bear with your bare hands? Exactly. Me either, right? This boy has some tremendous experience. Now, the reason I say this experience counts, David has been uniquely prepared for this situation, this exact situation. But play it back when David was doing that shepherd. You have to understand, David was one of eight. In fact, he was the youngest of eight. So when it comes time to divvy John, jobs out, he was of eight boys. When it comes time to divvy jobs out, who do you think got the best job and who do you think got the worst job? Pretty sure the youngest one gets the worst job, and that would be taking care of sheep in the field. Because sheep are smelly, they're not very bright, they get themselves in trouble. Uh, oh, by the way, there's lions and bears that want to eat them, and you have to stop that. Ready, go. Nobody wants to do that. But David did that. Now, as David is out there all by his lonesome, defending this flock against all these terrible things, there are a couple things going on. God is preparing him for the role that he will have. So I'm pretty sure that if you're out there all by yourself with a bunch of sheep, you have some time to reflect. I'm guessing that David was not out there on social media. He was not out there Facebooking, Twittering, Instagramming, he was just staring at the skies and thinking things like, who am I that you are mindful of me? You who put the stars in the sky. You may be just a little lower than the angels. No wonder the guy wrote so many songs. He had time to think. He had time to form a relationship. But even more so than that, he was being physically prepared because he was taking on lions and bears. And he got really, really good with a sling. A sling was the poor man's weapon. All you needed was bunch of leather and, and well, rocks are free so lots of ammo in that dry dry land but during that time he was probably not thinking wow God is preparing me for something wonderful he's probably thinking I can't stand being the youngest kid this shepherding is for the shepherds he probably was not thinking what a wonderful opportunity God is preparing me for but he was being prepared uniquely for exactly what God needed him to experience so, my question to you is, how is God preparing you right now? What experience or experiences are you having right now that seem like a bummer, but maybe could be used by God later? Interesting question. The second lesson that I learned is motives matter. There's a big movement going on right now about the power of why. If you watch TED Talks or you've read any of the books, uh, this is the latest buzz, like you know your why. You can do anything. Uh, there's what we do. There's the things that we do. There's how we do it. And that's the way that we go about them. But the why. Why am I doing that? That's where deep commitment and motivation come from. Because if you know your why, you can survive any storm. You can weather any storm. You can plow through any obstacle to keep doing what it is that you're doing, if you know why. The reason I mention this is David's motive is as pure as it gets. David is not coming out there going, God, I've been the youngest, I've been overlooked, I've been a shepherd, uh, I need to be famous, and so I'm going to take this guy on. That is not his motive, because as I read it, listen to what David's own words are. You come against me with spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. David, David's motive, more specifically, 
realize that God has been insulted, and that is not going to stand. You can't stand there and insult the God of the universe. Notice David isn't worried about himself being insulted. He's worried that God has been insulted. And then he goes on to say that you know, not, all these things that I'm going to do, basically it's because of what the Lord will do. It's not by the sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. And as we said last week, yes, the battle is the Lord. The Lord will fight for you, but there's still warriors in the field. There's still casualties. There's still hard times. There's still fear. There's still giants that we have to stand up to. Yes, the Lord will fight for you, but there are warriors in the field. We can't shy away from that. But if our motive is pure, that we want to show who God is, if we want to talk about this person who's defying the Lord and the God of uh, Israel, then that's a pure motive. We want to make God famous. David's motive is pure, and motives matter. The last thing I would point out, which is you're going to go, duh, <laughs> size matters. See, on the surface, the light should have won this thing. Nine foot nine, trained for war since youth. Are you kidding me? On the surface, David should have lost. He's little more than a boy, and a puny one at that. Good thing we don't fight on the surface when it comes to God. Check out 2 Corinthians, what it has to say about this warfare that we wage. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. God doesn't care about outward appearances. God doesn't care what it looks like. God looks into the heart. And if the heart is pure, Heart, loves God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and God will show up. And God will fight, but there are still warriors in the field. These are the lessons that I pull from David at the, the more adult level. Now, how does this affect us, and what, what does this mean? Well, here's a, a couple things to consider. What are we going to do now? Uh, I just have one action step for you, and, and maybe some ways that we can do that. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. We're going to make God matter. If size matters, if motives matter, and if experience counts, then what we should do is use all of those things to make God matter again. Because I'm convinced that as I look around our society, God doesn't matter as much as he used to. God doesn't matter as much as David thinks he does. Because we put other things in place of God, do we not? I am chief among you, by the way. I'm talking to myself here, too. Anything that I put before God is considered an idol. That's the way God looks at it. And God doesn't matter when I have so many choices that look so appealing and can take so much of my time. But the one thing that matters is God. That's why the first commandment is what it is. You love the God, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul. So when we look at our experiences, I know that some of you may not be living your ideal life. And I know this, especially in this internet era, because I see post after post of someone living their ideal life, being their best self, whatever you want to call it. And here's what I've learned. Social media lies. As someone once famously said, never pick, compare someone else's highlight reel with your reality show. That's what social media is. They're not going to post the bad stuff. They're going to post the good stuff. 
Oh, look at me. Have you ever seen those tutorials how to pay, take the best post picture and they have all these tricks that make it look healthier or make it look like you're in some exotic location? Like you're traveling, you're flying, and there's these clouds, and there's a wing of the airplane, and you back up, and it's like a five gallon bucket and a piece of plastic. That, you know, have you seen these pictures? Yeah, well, good, then I'll post them on WordServe and you'll have But that's the thing. Whatever experience you're having right now, trust that God can use that experience. Maybe He's growing you in something. Maybe He's equipping you in something that you've never been equipped in before. When I talk to uh, veterans with the Xena Project, and I say, you know, what you're going through may someday be a valuable ministry. Because who else is going to help an addict more than someone who's been an addict and has beaten it? They don't want to hear from me. They want to hear someone who's had the scars, the warrior who's been in the field and has been victorious. That's who they want to hear from. That's who they should hear from. What experience is God putting you through or has put you through that is preparing you for a far greater ministry than you can imagine? Right now it might look like suffering. Right now it might look like hopelessness. Right now it might look like an end, not a means. But I'm telling you, God can use that. Experience counts. And our motives matter. Like I said, that's why the first commandment is the first commandment. Do we really love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength? Or do I just really love God on Sunday morning at 10 o'clock? If I really love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, the, the worship doesn't start and end at you know, 10 to 11. The worship is non-ending. I live a lifestyle of worship. Because I love Him that much. I wish I were there. I'm working on it. And I want you to come and join me on this journey. And then the last thing, as we look at this in our own life, size matters. Yes, absolutely, size matters. Some problems look huge out there. They're not as huge as our God. But here's the real challenge, I think, for North Americans, especially in this community that we serve here. We think that we're big enough, don't we? We think that we're smart enough. We think that we're wealthy enough. We think that we're whatever enough. And I'm here to tell you that that's huh, bad news for you. We're not. Don't ever think that we're big enough to do things without God. And I am, again, chief among you. I try to do things by myself all the time, and I fall flat on my face. But God can even use that experience to pick us back up. I walk beside him. Size matters because I don't have the size. I don't have the brains. I don't have the resources. But when size matters, all I have to do is look at the God of the universe, the one who created everything. And there's nothing bigger if I'm with him, size matters. If I'm by myself, I'm never going to be big enough. There's always someone bigger. Until you get to God. And there's no one bigger there. That sounds like a good place to invest my time. How can you do that at WordServe? Very practically, this is a strategy circle, which if you've been at WordServe, you know what this is all about. There's three primary areas. One is worship. You're doing it right now. Congratulations, you've taken the first step. The second one is community. As we, as we worship and we get this connection to this God who is so great and love is, is unending, then we spread that with others. We learn and we grow together. We're here. We're accountable to one another. We help each other grow. And then once we've done that, we take it out to the world, which is the outreach portion of this. The compassion is what we call it here. Because it's never meant just to be for us. Is Jesus my personal savior? Yes, he is. Do I keep him to myself? No. 
If I do that, I miss the boat. We need to share this with the world because that same transformative power that's available to you and me is available to everyone. And if I want to make someone uh, not my enemy, the best way I can do that is to share Christ with them. And now we're brothers or sisters together. I've just defeated an enemy without fighting. It's the best fight of all. These are the lessons that we can learn. And why is this so important? Because I'm convinced, uh, and as we connect this in our daily lives, I'm convinced that the lives that we lead are the most powerful evangelistic tool that we have. If we live differently, people will see that. They'll want to know more. If we think that our experiences count, if we have pure motives and we think that they matter, and we know that the biggest thing that we can care up against is the God of the universe, we'll get unstoppable in our faith, in our lives. There will be nothing that can hold us back. So when it comes to, to being the underdog, I think we get this wrong sometimes. We, we think that we can go out there and summon God's magic power like I'm rubbing the genie out of the bottle. God, I want to do something great. Grant me my wish and go. I'm trying to get God on my side because he's the biggest thing I know. But we got it backwards. See, what we should be doing, what I should be doing, is trying to get on God's side. Because if I do that, I will never be an underdog. People, it's time to make God matter. Will you pray with me, please? God, we thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, the most perfect model that we know. One who came down on earth and accepted all the limitations that that brings, yet never wavered from his mission to live that perfect life on our behalf. God, everything that he did was what he saw his father do. Everything that he said is what he heard his father say. There is no closer connection. God has a connection that I envy. That's a connection that we can use for your benefit, for so that people may know who you are, so we can build your kingdom and not worry about building ours. Now, we're not enough. We, we sometimes think we are, but it doesn't take much in life to, to remind us of that. It might be our finances, it might be our jobs, it might be our health, it might be our relationships. God, there's always a place where we don't feel adequate. And God, for those people who are not feeling adequate in these areas this morning, I pray that those of your Holy Spirit Bring us into your presence. Help us to experience the greatness of who you are, the grace that you carry, the love that is steadfast and unending. And God, let us not keep that to ourselves, but let us spread that to the world so that others can experience that too. That same feeling of being loved. The same feeling of belonging somewhere. The same feeling of having a calling and a purpose and a meaning in our lives that is far greater than anything we can God, my prayer is that we would raise our voices to you this morning, that we would lift our hearts to you and be transformed, not just to be made better, but be made new in Christ. God, work in your spirit.